stoop the Messiah? Why don't you save yourself and us? Our punishment is just, but this man has done nothing wrong. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. You may have noticed there was a different tone in the voice of the one criminal who was, you know, really mocking Jesus when he said, if you're really the Messiah, save yourself and us, because in, in the Gospels of the New Testament, which describe the crucifixion of Christ, he wasn't simply making a mistake. He was, he was making fun of Jesus because Jesus had claimed to be the Messiah. And he said, yeah, right, if you really are, come down off that cross and take me with you. And what you discover is that many of the people who were there the day Jesus died mocked him and made fun of him by throwing back in his face what he had said about himself, who he had claimed to be, Messiah, King with the kingdom, Savior, Son of God. They threw all of that back at him because they're looking at him on the cross and and, and, and they're saying to themselves and they're thinking to themselves, that would never happen to the Messiah. That would never happen to the king of God's kingdom. That would never happen to the son of God. He did not meet their expectations because they had this image of what the Messiah, the son of God, should be. And Jesus didn't, didn't meet it in that moment. And so they ridiculed him. And... In this series, Son of God, Who Is He? We're, we're looking at Jesus' life and asking, who was he? Who is he? What can we know about him? And what are the implications of those truths for us in, in our lives? And you're going to discover today as we look at Jesus' crucifixion and those who were there when he died, all the, the insults they, they, they threw at him that interaction tells us so much about not only who Jesus was, but who he really is. And one of the things that, that, that we're learning is, is this. You're either going to accept who Jesus is and who he says he is, or you're going to reject who Jesus is and who he says he is. And more often than not, the decision is based upon your expectations what you want God to be, what you want Jesus to be. And if he's not what you want him to be, you're tempted to stand back and say, Nah! Because in many ways, we're just like the people who were there that day. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, open with me to the Gospel according to Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book of your New Testament. We're going to look at his account of the death, the crucifixion of Jesus and the people who were there and how they responded and learned some stuff about who Jesus is and what that means for us. Now, the words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but if you do have one, open it because it's good to read in your own copy of the Scripture. Luke 23, starting at verse 22, 32, rather, 
the Bible says this, And two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him, with Jesus. And when they came to the place called the skull or Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they, the soldiers, were casting lots, dividing his garments, his clothing among themselves. And the people stood by looking up. And even the rulers, the religious rulers, were sneering at Jesus, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, a sign you saw it depicted in the movie, nailed to the top of the, of the cross that read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him and said, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he or Jesus said to, to this man, to this criminal, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. A few years ago, there was a professor at Oxford University who's also a believer, follower of Jesus Christ, and he was touring parts of Eastern Europe and stopped at one of the remain remnants of, of, of a concentration camp from World War II where the Nazis had you know, murdered so many millions of Jews and, and others. And, and, and part of that facility there was a, a museum and photographs were on the wall and some of those photographs were of uh, Joseph Mengele the the German physician who was just evil that experimented on Jewish women and children especially and there were scenes depicting all the horrors of that concentration camp and his his abuse. And while he was there, he met this Jewish woman and they were talking, touring together, standing there looking at all of that. And she kind of grew quiet and looked at this Christian professor and, and she asked him, what does, what does your religion make of all this? And she was standing in the doorway waiting for him to answer. He said, I'm not going to insult your memory of your parents by giving you an overly simplistic answer. He said, I, I've got children of my own. And I cannot imagine how I would react if something happened to them, especially something as evil as what Mengele did to these kids. I don't have an easy answer. But then he, he said, but I, I do have what I think may be a, a doorway to an answer. You know that I'm a Christian, that I believe Jesus, that Yeshua is 
the Messiah, that Yeshua is God incarnate who, who came into our world as Savior. And, and his very name, Yeshua, means God with us. And you may not agree with this, but I'd like to ask you to think about it anyway. If Yeshua really was God, what was he doing on the cross? Now think about that, brothers and sisters. If Yeshua, if Jesus really was, really is God, what was he doing on the cross? This professor continued, could it be that the cross is where God begins to meet our heartbreaks? That he did not remain distant, aloof, and removed from our suffering, but he he literally became part of it himself? He added, for me, this is the beginning of hope a hope that death cannot defeat. Because the story doesn't end in the darkness of the cross. You see, Yeshua conquered death. He conquered the grave. He rose from the dead. And one day, he's coming back, and in absolute fairness and righteousness, he's going to judge everything and every. And this Jewish woman stood there in the door, silent, until a tear appeared. And she said, Why has no one told me this about my Messiah before? Today I want to tell you about your Messiah, the King of God's kingdom the Son of God, the Son of Man. All these titles Jesus used to refer to himself because everything Jesus claimed about himself was thrown back in his face on that cross. And and, and the people gathered there, except for a handful, the overwhelming majority of everyone there the day he died looked at Jesus in that moment and said he is an absolute failure. He's the son of God, he said. The son of God would never allow this to happen. He's the promised Messiah, the Christ. No, that's not what a Messiah does. He's the king of God's kingdom. The king would never die like that. And so those moments, in those moments, they, they just threw it all back at him, mocking him, laughing at him, ridiculing him, saying, you're a nobody, you're a failure. All because Jesus did not meet their expectations of what Jesus was supposed to be. But isn't it possible that in that moment, Jesus knew that what they needed was not necessarily what they wanted. 
that what they needed was not just an earthly panacea that they could only enjoy for a few decades until they died and then it would be of no value to them. That what they really needed wasn't just for him to be a military king and free the Jewish people from Roman oppression because there would be another evil empire after that one and another evil empire after that one. And even if Jesus set up an earthly kingdom, an earthly panacea of absolute perfection, the problem with it would be we're there and we're sinners. And whatever mess this world is in today, guess what? All of us as humanity would mess it up again. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus knew their greatest need was something other than what they wanted in that moment. They needed something bigger, something that lasted longer, something different. That they needed a new heart. They needed forgiveness and cleansing. They needed a resurrection. They needed so much that was beyond anything they were looking for. And isn't it quite possible, my friend, listen to me, that what you really need your own life is different than what you think you want. And that God is just loving and kind and wise enough to know the difference. And so at the foot of the cross that day, this crowd, and on either side of Jesus is two criminals. Mark's gospel tells us they were thieves, they were robbers. That's why we refer to them as the thieves on the cross. And here's Jesus. He's not crucified on one side. He's in the middle of these two. And and you have to understand that in their day for them, there, there could be nothing more humiliating happened to Jesus than what was happening because crucifixion was the most cruel, painful form of death they used. And it was reserved for common criminals. So here's Jesus in the middle of these two thieves and they're saying to everybody, look at him, he's just like all those other criminals. He, he deserves this and, 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 he, and the suffering, the suffering, oh, he's getting what, he owe, what he's owed. The humiliation, the humiliation of dying, of being executed like a common criminal. And yet I like to look at it and think rather than Portraying the humiliation of Jesus, it shows the heart of Jesus. Because it shows his identification with sinners. There's a reason we sing songs and talk about Jesus being the friend of sinners. Here, he's not ashamed to hang between them. He's not ashamed to say, no matter how much you've messed up your life, no matter how many mistakes you've made in the past, no matter matter anything, I love you. And I want to be with you. I think it shows who he really is. Doesn't that just paint a picture of who the Son of God is? 
it says that these criminals mocked him in the, the video in Luke's description the one was mocking him and the other turned to Jesus but when you look at the other gospels you discover that in the early hours of the crucifixion because they were on the cross for several hours but in the early hours of the crucifixion both of those criminals made fun of Jesus not just the one both of them insulted Jesus and the Bible says they hurled abuse at him. One translation, they yelled at him. It literally means they blasphemed him because they were saying, hey, hey, you're supposed to be the Christ, the Messiah. Yeah, right. If you're the Messiah, get off the cross. If you are who you say you are, get us off the cross and we'll all believe. <laughs> you're, you're full of it. Prove it. Prove it to us. Getting off the cross. Then you have the people, the crowd. Luke talks about them standing there looking on like they're simply onlookers, but the other gospels tell us they participated more actively than just standing there. Look at this in Matthew 27 uh, on the screen. Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 and 40. He says, and those passing by were hurling abuse, just hurling. Think of that picture, hurling, just shouting words out of abuse at Jesus, wagging their head, just kind of mockingly, sarcastically shaking their head at him. Would you look at that guy? All the things he said, look at him now, wagging their heads in disgust. And Luke talks about the rulers, the religious leaders, the other gospels say some of the priests were there and and, and scribes were there, and, and, and the elders, the, the older leaders, many, not, not all, because some believed in Christ, but many of the religious leaders, they, were, they were, were there and mocking Jesus. It says in verse 35, they were sneering at him. You get that image, sneering? Sneering? A mocking smile, a smug look, a condescending tone? And in verse 35, they said he saved others. He did all these miracles and helped all these people, but he can't do anything to help himself. And just like the thieves, if you're really the Christ, the Messiah, God's chosen one, (laughs) you wouldn't be in this predicament. The soldiers. Gambling over his clothing because... In history, that's what they normally did at a crucifixion. They crucified them naked. And the soldiers would gamble over the clothing. Who gets what? And it says that the soldiers would go over and, and on a large, whether it was on a spear or whatever, they, they would take a sponge and, and they would soak it in, it says, sour wine. It's really a mixture of wine, water, and and, and vinegar, and it was bitter tasting, but they would put it up there to, to help with moisture and a little bit of dehydration because they wanted the person to live as long as possible so they would suffer as much as possible. And and, and, and you see, the soldiers didn't, they, they were Romans, they, they were Gentiles, they, they didn't care about this Jewish religious stuff, they didn't care about Jesus claiming to be the Son of God, they didn't care about Jesus claiming to be, you know, the Messiah or the Christ or the Son of Man, all the other titles, but, but now king, they had Caesar, they knew what a king was. 
and nailed to the top of the cross is that mocking sign in three languages saying he's the king of the Jews. And they would hand him that drink and they would mock him and say, oh, you're a king, are you? What about Jesus? This whole time, what did he do? When they're laughing at him, sneering at him, making fun of him, what did he do? What did he do? Father, forgive them. Now, doesn't that sound like the Son of God? Doesn't that sound like a Messiah? Because he knew they needed something they didn't know they needed. And then you have that one criminal who in the beginning, like all the others, was making fun of Jesus. And suddenly he has a change of heart. Why? Is it possible that in that last moment of his life, He took his eyes off the mocking crowd, the laughing crowd, the sneering crowd, the doubtful, unbelieving crowd, and actually saw Jesus. Actually listened to him. And he saw the difference. And caught a glimpse of who Jesus really is. And was no longer concerned about the shame and the humiliation. No longer concerned about just the moment. But an eternity of moments. Not just the little stuff, but suddenly the big stuff of life. And then seeing and hearing Christ and then looking at the world that he had been such a part of saying, that's not what I want anymore. There has to be something better and bigger than that. seeing beyond the shame that humanity creates and say, I want the glory that only God can bring to a life. And so he has a change of heart and says to the fellow criminal, you and I are guilty. We're getting what we deserve. But that man, that Messiah, that Christ, that Son of God, that King is innocent. 
and then looking at Jesus. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Today. Salvation is immediate when you look to Christ. It's never too late. This man literally had a deathbed confession, if you will. doesn't matter how long you've resisted, how long you've run from God, how many times you said no. It's never too late. And Jesus' response when you turn to him is immediate today. Today you, it's personal. See, you're never going to know God on somebody else's coattails. It's got to be you. God speaks to the crowd, but he speaks to the individual. The crowd can't respond for you. You must. It's personal. Today you shall be. It's definite. Jesus does what he says. And forgiveness is definite. New way of seeing life is definite. A home and his house in eternity is definite. And no matter how many sins or how horrible you think your failures of the past are, they can still be forgiven. It's definite. God, God has a big eraser for the chalkboard of our sinful lives. Today you shall be with me. You see, what, what, what is it really? It's, it's, it's being with him and him being with you. It's being with God and God being with you. Being with Yeshua and Yeshua being with you. In paradise. Garden of Eden, Panacea, beautiful garden, an analogy of heaven, of God's place, God's place. A little over 100 years ago, 1910, the Japanese invaded Korea and conquered that country. And for the next 35 years until the end of World War II, they dominated it viciously. They were cruel, especially to women and children and religious people. One of the first things they did were, was to, to close the churches and forbid Christians to get together to worship. And as time passed, they became even stricter about that. You just couldn't get together at all. They arrested a lot of leaders of the churches, of uh, Christian leaders and pastors, and they expelled from the country all foreign missionaries. In one local community, there was a pastor, and he kept going to the Japanese police chief for that area, asking if he could get his little church together one last time. Can we just get together one last time? And he kept saying, no, 
No, you know the law, no. But he, he was persistent. He, he, he never gave up. And over time, this Japanese police chief relinquished and said, yes, you can have one last gathering in your church. So word spread quickly. The beautiful Sunday morning, people walking to that little wooden church for one last worship service, and, 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 and people who normally didn't go, they were coming that day. Everybody who was a believer was, was showing up, and they were walking past Japanese police and soldiers on their way to church, and they walked inside and closed the door. The windows were up because it was warm outside, and they were singing. They sang hymn after hymn after hymn. It went on for a long time. They just kept singing these hymns of celebration and praise. And uh, when they got to this one hymn, Nearer, my God, to thee, the police chief nodded and the soldiers went over and they, they uh, boarded up the door so no one could get out. And threw kerosene on the building. And... Uh, set it ablaze. Smoke began filling the room. Fire began to spread. Some would rush to the windows to try to escape, but the soldiers would shoot, and uh, the bodies just fell back in, and the pastor knew it was the end for all of them. And in a calmness that only comes from God, He had them sing this song. Alas and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Outside, not only the police and soldiers, but peasants and others could hear them singing. And as the flames got hotter and the smoke grew thicker, they continued to sing. Eventually, the roof collapsed. They all died. But those standing outside, the last thing they heard before the roof collapsed was that congregation singing the last verse of this hymn. Would you stand and sing it with us? But drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I 
the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. You see, the decision you have to make is which group do you belong to? Because ultimately there is no in-between. Do you see Christ and who He really is? Does that show itself in your life? What you do? Do you see Christ, who He really is, and shape your life around that? You've got to decide. In the midst of all the noise of the crowd, okay? Because we all live in a noisy place, a big crowd. You have to decide in the midst of all of that. Can you step back like the, that one criminal on the cross did and, and, and stop looking and, and stop listening at all that noise and, and see him? Hear Him and turn your heart, turn your life to Him. Pastors are coming to stand here at the front. And I'm asking you to be like that criminal. And in this moment, Say, Lord, remember me in this moment. Turn to Christ. I'm asking you to symbolize that by leaving your seat, coming to one of these two pastors and taking their hand and saying, Today, Pastor, I'm coming to Jesus Christ. I want him in my life. I want him to be my Savior, my King, my Messiah, my Christ, my Lord, my God. Others need to kneel here on the kneeling bench and talk to your God. And some of you need to join this church. Why? Because if you know Jesus, you're part of his family and you're proud of that. And even if our world grows more hostile to those of us who gather as the family of God, so be it. We belong to Him. And we're not playing games. We're not ashamed. Take your stand. Because Jesus, for you, did not take the easy way out. Do what you know 
you should do. Let's sing this next song. You come.